Hey, Brian, did you know we're living in a post-Christian society? I'd like to know what that means because that term itself scares me. It does me too because it really changes the game on evangelism. And you know something else that scares me? I asked an AI how to help us do a better job of evangelism, and the answers it gave me were surprising. We're going to tell you more about it in this podcast. This is Biblically Speaking, the podcast. Thanks for joining. I'm your host, Jared Bolvin, and I'm joined, as always, by co-host Brian Haynes, and we are talking about evangelism today, particularly evangelism in a really tough spot. We live in a post-Christian society. Now, Brian, you asked me before the break, before the jump, what does a post-Christian society mean? I don't want to give you my version. I want to read what it actually says, but here's the definition of a post-Christian society. This is according to Wikipedia. Post-Christianity is a situation in which Christianity is no longer the dominant civil religion of a society, but has gradually assumed values, culture, and worldviews that are not necessarily Christian. Post-Christians tend to refer to the loss of Christianity's monopoly in historically Christian societies to atheism and secularism. It does not include formerly Christian majority societies that now follow other religions such as Islam. Some scholars have disputed the global decline of Christianity and instead hypothesized an evolution of Christianity, which allows it not only to survive, but actively to expand its influence into contemporary societies. That means that some people are proposing changing the message to fit the current times. We see a lot of that. Last week, we talked about who is Jesus. Did Jesus say he was God? You see a lot of that today when people are trying to remake Jesus. So I think you got some numbers for us on the decline of Christianity in the West. So I'm going to let you take it over here, Brian. Talk, talk to us yeah. about that. So some of the research statistics, and of course, by the way, when we're talking about Christian, we're using that term in the broadest way possible. If we mm -hmm. define Christian the way the New Testament defines Christian, it's always been a slight minority of people. We're talking in single One might digit, even say a remnant. <laughs> a remnant, as the Apostle Paul might describe us as. So when we're, Sorry, talking, about, we're talking, about, talking about a culture that reflects Christianity, not the genuine Christianity of the New Testament. But there's a lot of research that's done on this. People like to take statistics. So one recent article that comes out of the Pew Research affiliation, they mm -hmm. say that at this time in 2020, approximately 64, 65% of Americans identify themselves as Christian. Wait, 64%? That's a pretty good number, isn't it? I think 64%. That's 14% over 50. It sounds great, except that in reflection with numbers in the past, it, what it shows is a dramatic decline. So that we're yeah. looking at if that decline continues. And by the way, we don't know if it's going to continue, but that's the speculation. If it does continue, we'll have a country that the majority of people in this country identify themselves not as Christian here in the next 15 years or so. It's not that people are just changing denominations and what people typically call Christian or they're moving to other religions. They're becoming atheists. They're anti-God or they're becoming purely secularists. They don't really care whether or not there's a God. And I think one of the more dangerous things that we're seeing in these numbers, and like you said, 64% is down from in the 80s. It was roughly, I think, 80% of people identified as Christian, and you're talking about Western society. One of the really dangerous trends, and you mentioned the Pew Research, but groups like the Barna Group, they track the generational changes and that what we see is a pretty steady decline from, say, the greatest generation and the baby boomers being about even to there's a pretty severe drop when you get into Generation X, which is my generation and your generation and the millennials and then Generation Z, those people that were born at the end of the 1990s and they're now young adults in their late 20s to approaching early 30s that are even less inclined to think of the world in terms of a Christian worldview. And those are big words, but what we're really talking about is do they subscribe to the morality of the Bible, the belief that there is a God? The further people get away from a very basic belief that there is a God, the harder it is to evangelize them. Exactly right. Or at least it feels that way. That may not mm -hmm. be true necessarily. What's interesting is a lot of the people that are coming out and saying no affiliation, they're not necessarily saying, I believe there is no God. What they're really mm -hmm. saying is, I just don't care. I don't see the relevance of it. Yeah. I don't think that it's a part of my life. Now, Jared, what I think is more interesting in this conversation is to first of all ask the question of why. Why is it that yeah. we're seeing this kind of decline? One thing we could do is we could consider that it's not unique to the United States. I was looking at similar statistics out of the United Kingdom, and the United Kingdom is probably about 25 years ahead of us on this. So in other mm -hmm. words, they've already hit their point of Christianity being the minority of people. 
And it's interesting because I one one specific put Christianity today in England, 45%. So less than half right. of people in England identify it's themselves. It's st still a pretty big number. And again, you're using that in a broad sense, but... Now, one of the things that's, that's interesting in the United Kingdom is that they identify that the only areas where you see growth or stability in religion being passed down it tends to be among immigrants, interestingly enough. People from other countries that have immigrated to the United Kingdom, but the people that are comfortable there have lost that. Now, I have some ideas about why people are, to quote REM, losing my religion. What do you think, Jared? What's your thoughts here? There's lots of data on this, but I think a lot of it comes from a couple different factors. Number one, there's an inherent mistrust of authority that particularly Generation X, we are defined as the forgotten generation, that nobody really thinks much about us. We always felt alone. We're carving our own way. We just deal with things. A lot of the later generations, the millennials and the Generation Z, they value authenticity. And so if you look at sort of the explosion of the evangelical movement in the late 90s or mid to late 90s in America, where worship and religion look like a rock concert, that's not very authentically approaching what's in the Bible. And the world, if you if a rock concert's what you're going to church for, the world can put on a much better rock concert. And that lack of authenticity is a really big thing with them. Typically, those three generations want to be a part of something. They don't want to just sit and consume. And I think that idea of religion being a performance or church being a performance is an issue for them. And I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of the people that grew up in quote-unquote Christian homes that they just don't see the relevance of it because it was never anything that was authentically theirs, if that makes sense. You, what do that, you got? What are your reasons? That's exactly the first thing that comes to my mind. And the word authentic, there's a lack of authenticity. If morality can change, if all the mainstream denominations can change what's right and wrong, it is necessarily inauthentic. If you just can go back and forth on what you believe, and of course that creates the generational divide that we've talked about to mm -hmm. that there are distinctions in generations because of that adaption where an older generation says, Hey, we used to think this was wrong. And the newer generation says, Hey, now we're being told it isn't wrong, but that creates a lack of authenticity. Believe it or not. The irony is that shifting is done as an appeal to, to try to rope people in. It's yeah. saying I'm on a boat. I've got water in the boat. So I'm going to drill some holes in the bottom to get the water out. That's the kind of approach that it's been for religion. It reminds so, me of the sermon idea we talked about. What did Noah do with the woodpeckers? <laughs> yeah, you have to wonder, right? Um, yeah, it say, does leave you. It does leave one to wonder. <laughs> I would say the other side of this to consider is that throughout the world, this isn't how religion is working everywhere, but it's working yeah. in affluent societies. So my second thing I observe, number one, inauthenticity in religious people. Number two, affluence. Mm -hmm. As affluence rises our perceived need for spiritual encounters decreases. As we're doing better, yeah. we don't sit around saying, hey, there's something missing in my life because we can fill it. We can say, hey, there's something missing in my life. I'm going to fill it with entertainment. I'm going to fill it with hobbies. I'm going to fill it with spending or vacationing or things like that. And so the perceived, right. and I say perceived or, because the real need is still there, but the perceived need isn't. One of the things that we fill it with that I think really detracts from faith is that, and this is something we're going to talk about in another episode plug away, plug away. But we're going to talk about this in another episode is that sometimes politics is taking the yes. place of faith. Yes. They, people identify their faith by how they vote or what political positions they hold on certain issues. And I remember a few years ago, obviously the big hot button one now is abortion and, and transgenderism and things like that. But a few years ago, it was assisted. I forgot, I can't say that word. YouTube flags you for that particular S word. But the there was assisted to be YouTube friendly. End of life end decisions. Of yeah. yeah, end of life decisions. And that was a big point that all Christians need to rally around this. And, right. and that sort of led us to the point about, okay, we're not for making these kind of end of life decisions, but at the same time, we're almost frothing at the mouth when it came to the death penalty. And right. people began to point out inconsistencies in our logic. So there was always that lack of, again, authenticity. That really is yeah. the word that, that speaks the most to these things. Now, one of the other things that we talked about in the pre-show, and we're going to we're gonna get to the AI stuff. I know you guys are wanting to talk, hear about, did Jared really talk to chat GPT about evangelism? The answer is yes. Gave me some surprising answers. But one of the things, it's some scary. Were you a little frightened by those answers, Brian? When you saw yeah, them? Yeah, really they really Yeah. I don't want to get into them just yet, but it surprised yeah. me. 
I didn't think ChatGBT wrote it. I thought you did. I thought, oh, that's interesting. Jared makes some really interesting. I thought, boy, Jared sounds a lot smarter than normal. That was my <laughs> stop there. Oh, yeah. Way, way smarter. I didn't know he knew that word. Next week, there'll be a different co-host. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Brian, the Bear Summoner Haynes won't be on. So That's right. Oh, yeah. I forgot. We got to get you that shirt, Brian, the Bear Absolutely. Summoner Haynes. That's right. Absolutely. That goes back to a very old joke when Brian was on one of the very first episodes of Biblically speaking, and actually I think it was the other program I was doing, the walk through the word that you were on. I can't remember which one that was, but but Brian and I were my studio was in the backyard at the time, and it was he was filling in for somebody who had to cut on me at the last minute and do something else because it was urgent. So Brian and I were filming in the late afternoon sun, and the sun was reflecting right off his head. And if you're watching on YouTube, you can see why that would be a problem. On my hair, which is almost solidly gray that I'm only 46. My hair is solidly gray, and I look like Moses coming down the mountain. <laughs> and I said, hey, Bear Summoner, tilt your head the other way. <laughs> when we say that's an old joke, that's a 3,500-year-old joke. Or that, is a thir- that is a joke 3,500 years in the making. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Years. Sorry, I gotta pick that. We were talking about this idea that one of the things that compounds the problem is our culture constantly feeds us this idea that there is not, that there's no relating between generations. Now, I joke about Brian being a lot older than me. Brian's four years older than me. We're both Generation X. He's right on the tail of the middle end, and I'm right at the beginning of the very end of Generation X. But we were talking in the pre-show, Brian, your parents are the greatest generation, right? That's right. Born in the 1930s and early 40s. So that puts them, and again, we're saying that these distinctions are purely man-made, and mm-hmm. and I think sometimes they're terrible. How many times do you hear somebody say, oh, that's millennials for you? Yeah. It's, okay, it's boomer. Basic, yeah, exactly right. That yeah. we have this, that basically, if this were a racial stereotype, we'd say, oh, don't say that. If this were some other type of discriminatory ID, we'd say, don't say that. But we have no problem categorizing and generalizing everybody in a specific time period to say, that's just the way your generation thinks. Oh, yeah. If I got behind the mic and I talked about people not being able to control their spending or gossiping all the time and you went, that's women for you, (laughs) we'd get struck so fast. It would be like fire and lightning coming down from the sky. But But we live in a culture that that promotes or allows, at least maybe I should say, just allows generational warfare. And I'm not so sure you were wrong with the promotes. I I think it actually promotes generational warfare because it serves the kind of the necessary political divide that they're trying to maintain. Maybe the differences between generations aren't quite as stark as what we're being told. Let's talk about evangelism across the generations. What do we hear about why boomers can't talk to millennials or X and Z are going to have hard, a hard time relating to one another. How does that relate to evangelism? So let's make it clear to say this. While we're not talking about the idea that we change the message of evangelism, we see in the New sure. Testament lots of times where where the way that people talk to other people was based on their culture. Now, Jared, you were bringing mm-hmm. up before the show, First, First Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul is yeah. talking about his way of engaging people. And he says, I become all things to all men. He says to the Jew, I'm under the law. And to the Gentile, I'm free from the law. And it's interesting how he makes that application. And then we see it in lots of different times. We see Jesus talking to the woman at the well, engaging her in a way that kind of shocked his Jewish apostles that were saying, hey, what's going on? You're talking to a woman and a a Samaritan woman at that. So Paul on Mars Hill, when he goes up on Mars Hill to talk to philosophers, he doesn't start by saying, hey, let's talk about the law of Moses. He doesn't even mention the law of Moses, right? He says, let's talk about creation and let's talk about your philosophers who saw things. You remember your poets were grasping for this one God that made everything. And then, yeah. and then in places like Acts chapter 13, when Paul talks to a Jewish audience, he says, hey, let's talk about what Moses said, and let's talk about how Jesus fulfills that. Acts 14, a Gentile audience, let's talk about the creation. So what we're really saying is you talk to different people different ways. That And that is a biblical pattern of evangelism. Yeah. You talk to people in the language they understand. In the first century, they had the gift of speaking tongues. They could actually talk in the physical language of somebody else. But we mm-hmm. can adapt ourselves to talk in the language of people by understanding a little bit more about their generation and their culture. And it does matter to some degree. There is, There are enough differences that we do say, yeah, I need to be able to talk to the millennial, the boomer, the Gen Z. I need to understand a little more about who they are. 
Just like Jesus needed to understand what a Samaritan woman was, or the apostle Paul needed to understand what a Stoic philosopher or an Epicurean philosopher thought, or Paul needed to understand what the Jews needed and what the Gentiles needed, we, be we need to become all things to all men if we're going to effectively evangelize. When Peter is first called to be the apostle to the first apostle to go to the Gentiles, so you're in Acts chapter 10. He's taking the keys that Jesus has given him, and now he's got this authority to go speak to the Gentiles. And he has a vision before that happens. What specifically did he see in that vision? Do you remember? The, this is Peter in Acts chapter 10. Uh-huh. Yeah, so he sees this lowering of this great sheet, the Bible says, full of all sorts of animals, unclean uh -huh. animals, meaning pigs and eels and lobsters. And God says to him several times, kill, arise, kill, and eat. Of course, Peter's response yeah. is, never touch an unclean thing in my life. And God says, hey, what I call don't, clean, you don't yeah. get to call unclean. What I've cleansed, you don't, you no longer consider unholy. Peter doesn't understand this. He's got no clue, but he's being prepared to go and preach to this devout Gentile who has been seeking God. He's looking for God in all these places, and he knows that the gods of the Romans are not the right gods, and so he's looking for God. And so Peter goes to Cornelius, and he's got this idea that maybe the Jews, he has this idea that maybe the Jews have it, and so he's reaching out to that, and Peter says, I understand it now, that God is no respecter of persons. And I think Sometimes we have this idea that the way I was converted is the way that everybody has to be converted. That meaning as technology changes, are we using these things to reach a generation who, if you put out an advertisement for a gospel meeting in the back of a newspaper, you're probably not going to reach people in the millennial generation because none of them have ever picked up a newspaper. The only place you're telling people that your congregation exists is in the yellow pages or the white pages. You're not going to reach very many people in Generation X at right. that point. That are we using the mediums that are there to reach people? Now, it's very important that we understand there's a difference between are we speaking to them in their language and changing what we're actually saying? So I want to be very clear about this. We're not saying, hey, you got to water down the gospel. You got to soften Jesus. You got to talk about Jesus and not talk about sin and repentance and hell or any of those things. That's not what we're saying. But the tools that reached me, I remember the old, what were they, the Macmillan film strips that were essentially a slideshow. When it beeped, you moved to the next slide and the tape recorder kept playing the tape that was all about what I needed to do as a new Christian. If I show somebody in Generation Z that film strip where everybody comes in and they're dressed like it's the 1950s and they're the gentlemen are wearing hats and everybody comes home and they're wearing a suit and tie and the guy comes over to teach them about the gospel and the wife has been vacuuming in pearls and high heels all day, that's going to seem very inauthentic to a generation that doesn't understand that dynamic because People probably never actually did dress that way all day, but they certainly don't do that now. We have to realize that not all change is bad change. If it's not changing the message of the gospel, it's just changing the way that I'm delivering it. I need to stop and think about, okay, is this something the Bible speaks on as stay away from this, or the Bible is silent on, but I'm crossing the authority of God here, and I shouldn't be doing that because it's given me another example of how I should behave? Or is this something to where I'm doing exactly what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9 and exactly what Peter did? I'm realizing the thing that I might not be as adept at using, that God is, that God's using that to call people today. And talk about that for a second. Let's so yeah, one, one of the things we want to say, and one of the things that your conversation with ChatGPT talked about is every generation it would bring up, it would say authenticity. And that yeah. seems to be the consistent truth probably throughout all time, authenticity. When mm -hmm. I'm talking to somebody from a very a different generation, the authenticity is I want to give them something that will make their life better. I want to give them something that will save them. And that's the means by which I'm going to reach authenticity is that I'm going to be giving them something genuinely with a genuine desire. And I have to be careful not to try to act like their generation, not to try to say, hey, I'm going to be your generation in that conversation. But I have to be hello, genuine. fellow young people. Yes, hello, fellow young people. Let's yeah. go watch the TikTok and use the Facebook. Yeah, I'm gonna use the TikTok. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Next Sunday, Brian is getting up in in a Henley with rolled up sleeves, 
<laughs> skinny jeans, biker boots, and a forearm <laughs> and a flannel shirt. Yes. Oh yeah, and the flannel shirt. And the flannel. Okay. Yeah. Are you gonna do the hair piece, or are you gonna rock the whole "it's okay to be bald" thing? It's okay. Hey, for Gen for Gen Z, they're okay with bald. They don't mistrust bald. So bald now, is authentic. My glasses are only necessary for reading, but you need glasses all the time. You got to get smaller glasses, or they've got to have wider rims around them. <laughs> yes, definitely. But yeah, we're not talking about mimicry here. What we're talking about is understanding and using what's part of their culture. So as we become this secularized society and people are asking the question of why do I need God? Now, you mentioned that's not always necessarily an end to any discussion of evangelism. But so tell me, what can be some of the benefits of people coming to that conclusion of maybe I don't need God? How can that actually help us evangelize them? For one thing, in times past, when we had what we called a Christian heavy culture, what we really had was a lot of people with bad ideas. And yeah. they allowed those ideas to define them. So in some ways, the fact that people are leaving those things almost gives us an end that doesn't require us to deprogram. Now, now, what it really comes down to is we have to be able to differentiate ourselves from cultural Christianity. We're genuine Christianity. And of course, genuine, authentic, those are the words that, that key to what people are really looking for. It's not a bad thing that people are saying, hey, I'm done with denominationalism. I'm done. When somebody, here's the term we hear the most. I'm done with organized religion. That's not mm -hmm. a bad thing. That As our society moves away from organized religion, that may not be the worst thing in the world because it may uh, open a door for us to have a conversation that says, if you're done with organized religion, let's talk with scriptural, or, uh, scriptural religion instead. You've never uh, seen anybody more disorganized than me. Exactly right. <laughs> Yeah, it's really the thing to go to. You mentioned that affluence has a lot to do with the decline of faith. One of the things that drives people to faith is hope. They want hope. And right now, hope is in short supply in our culture. That we've just come out of three years of a pandemic. There's still some political entities that want to say we're still in the middle of the pandemic. And that you've got all of the bad things going on in the world. You've got inflation. You've got war. You've got man versus woman. You've got people that can't define what their gender is anymore. You've got all of these things and people are in a spot where they feel hopeless. And maybe our culture doesn't become a quote unquote Christian society again, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Hope is universal. It's like love is universal. Hope is a universal concept. Everybody wants it. And right now our culture for the last 20, 25, even up to 50 years has said, you know what? You don't need faith. You don't need Christianity. And what we see is the more Christianity subsides from view, the less organized things are, that the less hopeful people, are, the more intolerant people are of others who are not like them, that the differences between men and women aren't getting better. It's becoming a deeper divide. The one component that's the same in all of this is we keep trying it without God. We keep trying it without his word. And so I went to chat GPT and I'm going to do a long form video on this. That's 10 minutes about just this part that it'll just be me putting in these queries to chat GPT. And hopefully it gives me the same things because I forgot to record the screen when I did it. But I first asked it, I said, will you define generation X for me? And I went generation X, millennial generation Z. And then I asked it about post-Christian America. What is post-Christianity? Is America post-Christian? And it affirmed Yes, according to, you got to remember, ChatGPT is an AI, but it's analyzing millions of data points. I think it's up to 2022 is the data points that it has right now. But it's got millions of data points that it's analyzing, and it's drawing conclusions based on those data points. That, that yes, America is a post-Christian society where it's heading that way. And so I ask it, if you were going to evangelize, how would you, knowing what these different generations represent, how would you reach them? And here's what I asked about Generation X. I said, what's the best way to evangelize Generation X? And it says, reaching and evangelizing Generation X, those born between the early 1960s and early 1980s, can be challenging as they have experienced significant cultural and technological changes throughout their lives. Here are some of the strategies that might be effective in reaching this generation. Number one, address their skepticism. Generation X tends to be skeptical of traditional authority figures and institutions, including organized religion. You talked about that just a second ago. 
address their skepticism by engaging in honest, open conversation about faith and spirituality and being transparent about your own struggles and even your own doubts. Focus on relationships with Generation X. Generation X values authentic, meaningful relationships. Build relationships with them by investing in one-on-one conversations, small group meetings, and other opportunities to form genuine connections that emphasize relevance. That's a big one. My whole life, I've that's been the question about anything is how does this relate to me? How is it relevant to me? that emphasize relevance. Generation X tends to be focused on issues of practicality and relevance, emphasize how the gospel can provide practical solutions, and relevance is like being authentic, right? Emphasize the gospel can provide practical solutions to real-world problems and show how faith can be relevant to their daily life. Offer a safe space for exploration. Many members of Generation X are open to exploring spirituality and faith, but may not feel comfortable doing so in a traditional church setting. That's one of the reasons why just inviting people to church is not a good way to convert them to Jesus. you got to have those sit-downs, those one-on-ones. you got to know your Bible well enough to sit down with somebody that you consider a friend and say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. And knowing that the purpose and doing that is not necessarily to lead them to Jesus. And it's not scoreboard conversion kind of thing. It's, I want to introduce you. You're going to have to make the decision how this relates to your life, but I want to introduce you to what I consider to be the most important person who's ever lived. And it's worth noting that there, again, that there's no one size fits all approach. Now, I also sent you the stuff on the millennial generation. So give us that breakdown. What did it say about the millennial? So millennial generation, that generation, they grew up in the, born in the eighties and nineties, came to adulthood around 2000. Their significant event, probably 9-11, when the Twin Towers were attacked, is their defining moment of their generation. Reaching and evangelizing the millennial generation. This is your asking ChatGPT, that open AI, this question, can be challenges. They've grown up in a world that is vastly different than that of previous generations. Here are strategies that may be effective. Number one, build authentic relationships. Millennials tend to value relationships and communities. So building authentic, meaningful relationships with them can be an effective way to share your faith. Focus on building relationships with millennials, listening to their stories and struggles, and showing genuine caring. Address their concerns. Millennials have concerns about social issues, poverty, inequality, justice. Addressing these concerns is an effective way to engage them in conversation about faith. Help them see how the gospel speaks to these issues. They can be part of making positive impact on the world. Be tech savvy. Millennials are digital natives and tend to be highly effective or highly active on social media. Use technology to your advantage by creating content that speaks to their interests and concerns. Share it through social media platforms. Be authentic and transparent. Millennials tend to be skeptical of marketing, traditional advertising. They respond more positively to honest, transparent communication. Be honest about your struggles and challenges living out your faith. Share how your relationship with God has made positive difference in your life. Engage them in worship. Millennials tend to value creativity and authenticity in worship. And by the way, this is what I think is probably the least effective of, of the, the response that ChatGBT gave, because it perhaps it's wanting us to say worship needs to be altered. I think we could come across a different way on this, but let me go ahead and finish what ChatGPT said. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Meaningful, relevant worship. Incorporate contemporary music, multimedia elements, and interactive experience. As I said, I think that's the least the least useful thing that ChatGPT had to say. Finally, it, summarize it, it's the same the, way to say it. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, finally, was, summarize to say there's no one way fits all. I was going to say, it, it probably is the least effective, but there are, there are still ways we can implement it. I know people that resist the idea of singing any song that was made before 1950. And yeah. if we're using, I think about one of the, maybe one of the best hymns ever written is Night with Ebon Pinion, Brooded o'er the Veil, that the night had come over the valley like a dark wing. And you, you get a bunch of millennials singing that. I got no clue what you're talking about. Yeah. But you get together and you sing the battle belongs to the Lord and in heavenly armor will enter the land because the battle belongs to the Lord. That resonates with them. So it does have application. So I just want to be careful that we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater kind of yeah. thing there. But it does have application, but we have to be very careful about how we... And I know people who 20 years ago, when I was preaching for a small church in East Houston, that they wondered, you know, they were okay with the overhead projector, but some people wondered, was it okay for me to use PowerPoint? Hang on. <laughs> I don't remember the Apostle Paul making plastic overheads. So if one is okay, the other is okay I'm not going to incorporate things that are not scriptural into the PowerPoint, but it's okay to have something that has 
text or points up on the screen that helps you maintain that that view. And now people would laugh at at PowerPoint ever being an issue. But there's something that I caught there before we move on to Generation Z that I want to talk about for just a second. And it may be the other point that gave some of our audience kind of some concerns, and that was address the concerns that millennials have about social issues, poverty, inequality, and injustice. We want to be careful about that because we don't want to turn the church into a social organization. But we also need to understand there's a lot of inaccuracy in terms of what's presented about the Bible. I was watching a a video the other day where a person who was agnostic who said, I would become a lot closer to being a Christian if the Bible ever just said slavery was wrong. And I was thinking about how the biblical definition of slavery and the slavery like we think of in the United States were not really the same thing. But then it occurred to me, the Bible actually does say that slavery is wrong. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, it says, but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Realizing the fact that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly, the sinner, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their father. So here's what the law was made for. It was meant to convict these people. For those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers and moral men and homosexuals, and kidnappers. That idea of kidnappers, if you look at it in the Greek, is the word slave dealer. It's for people, most slavery in the Bible were people who sold themselves into indentured slavery to pay a debt. And sometimes they even wanted to stay. They became a part of the family and they wanted to stay in that family. But this in verse 10 of 1 Timothy chapter 1 is talking about people who are by force taking people and subjugating them and putting them in slavery. It says that's immoral and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, according to the glorious gospel, the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. He says those people are not going to be part of God's kingdom because the law is meant to convict them of those things as sinful. It's not saying that they can't turn away from them, that they can't become people of God, but that's why the law existed, was to convict people of the wrongness of those things. And so the Bible does actually speak about things like that, And we shouldn't be ignorant of the fact that it speaks about things like that. Now, the Bible is not a social justice document. The Bible is meant to call people to repentance, and we're all on equal footing of needing repentance. But the idea that society's ills being amplified, they're not being amplified by the Bible. They're being amplified by people who are resisting the Bible. One important idea is we need to take anybody's concerns as relevant as long as they're their concerns. A lot of people hear that term social justice and... They immediately put up a wall and say, oh, that's your generation's problem. That's your generation's social. It's your generation's generational warfare. You're blaming the last generation for some problems. You're saying Mm -hmm. racist or we're, use your word, whatever you want to say. But you know what? My generation blamed the last generation for abortion. We said, hey, look what you guys did. That's a social justice issue. Abortion Mm -hmm. certainly is a social justice issue. That generational warfare says, hey, one generation blames the one before it. That's the way it's been forever. We blame the people behind us. In Israel, in the book of Ezekiel, they were blaming the generations before them for their problems. And God says, guess what? The soul that sins is the one that dies. That's where that conversation comes in. He says, I'm not punishing you for what they did. I punish you for what you did. It's important for us to understand that it's natural that we say, hey, I think your generation made some mistakes. Own it. Yeah, I think you're right. I think there were times where people didn't understand things well and accept that. I think the worst thing we do is we try to invalidate the next generation's concern. You guys worry too much about that or things like that. And boy, you'll never convert anybody. Again, that's inauthentic and you'll never convert anybody. And that's where that political divide comes in, that if I'm out there and my party or my political belief or my thinking is the only right way on this issue, and there are some issues where it is the only right way. It's the only godly way because the Bible speaks about it. But that doesn't mean that I can't hear the concern and speak to it from the Bible. And that's what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Now, the last generation we're going to talk about is Generation Z. This is what ChatGPT said about them. I asked about evangelizing Generation Z, and it says, okay, you're talking about people between the 1990s and 2010s. It says it can be challenging. They've grown up in a vastly different, a world that's vastly different from previous generations. So even different from millennial generations. That authenticity is their number one thing. Generation Z tends to value authenticity and transparency. This is my youngest brother is right on the cusp of the millennial Generation Z divide. That they are skeptical of marketing and traditional advertising and respond more to positively more positively to honest, relatable communication. So if you're out there using words that they don't understand, then like if I'm out there using the word atonement and propitiation to talk about Jesus, 
probably going to have a hard time reaching Generation Z because they don't understand that more than likely they don't understand the word and they're going to distrust people that use that word because it's it seems to be hiding something. In order to reach them, it's important to be genuine and honest in your messaging and approach. Generation Z is big on social media. I use the idea of the yellow pages. If you're advertising your congregation in the yellow pages, you're probably not going to get the even Generation X. You're definitely not getting Generation Z. It says their first instinct is to go. They grew up with social media, and they're highly active on platforms like Instagram, Snapchat, and TikTok. These platforms offer opportunities to reach that demographic with targeted content and messaging. One of the things that we're doing at the Fifth Street Church is we're starting an evangelism campaign around some videos that I'm going to be putting up on a landing page that are going to be on YouTube. So if you if I give you a card, it'll take you to the landing page. But if you're just having to be searching Church of Christ in Portland or Church in Portland, then you're going to come up, these videos will fall, and they're going to be basic things. Who is Jesus? Some of them are going to be like one minute short. Some of them will be seven or eight minutes long. But who is Jesus? Who is God? Why is church relevant? I'm not going to reach those people by handing them a CD. But I might reach them by giving them a business card with a QR code or by handing them a sticker with QR code on it or something like that. That they And what's weird is they trust that as being more reliable, not just relatable, but more reliable than traditional media. It says consider partnering with influencers. That's probably not as important, although I do have my own YouTube channel, so maybe we are partnering with influencers. There you go. <laughs> Storytelling is a big thing for them. Stories are powerful tools. A story has this idea in my generation, this connotation of something being not true. But stories are powerful tools for engaging people of all ages, but especially Generation Z. Think about how many times, three different times in the book of Acts, we're told about Paul's conversion, right? That they respond well to personal stories that are relatable and meaningful. Share personal stories of how your faith has impacted your life and encourage others to share their stories as well. Relevance is important. So there, you, you, we didn't see relevance necessarily in the millennial generation, but we did see it in Generation X. Here's Generation Z. They're wanting to know, how, to be, how does this relate to me? They're passionate about social justice, environmentalism, mental health, among other things. Find ways to connect your message with issues that matter to them. Again, you got to be careful about that. But if you just dismiss their ideas as being unimportant, then you're going to be inauthentic and irrelevant right from the very beginning. And again, dialogue. Generation Z tends to be more comfortable with open dialogue and discussion than previous generations. They value diverse opinions and perspectives and are more likely, this is what's really cool, we think there's no hope for the gospel because we're in this post-Christian society, they're more likely to engage with people who are willing to listen and have an open mind. So create opportunities for open dialogue and discussion and be willing to engage with those who may have different beliefs and perspectives. So if you give them room to speak, they're more likely to listen to you than the millennial generation is. That's not a hopeless situation. So again, you have that warning about one size fits all. You want to weigh in on anything of that before I get into kind of where the points of intersection are in the three? I think I'm more interested in talking about those points of intersection. I think though... One thing we have to consider, the big weighing thing is the conversation idea about different ways, different approaches on how we're going to do this. I think a lot of Christians will say, boy, I wish there were more kids in our church. What they really say, what they mean is, I wish there were more kids that were kids, but they were my generation of kids. They don't want, they don't want Gen Z. They don't want Gen A, you know, what our next generation in there. Yeah, they alpha. Want, yeah. They want more baby boomer kids. And that's what you're, you're not going to get. That yeah. means you're going to have kids that do things that you think, I'd have never done that. I'd have never talked that way or dressed that way. The way people dress changes every generation. And you've got to not think that way. You've got to put that thought out of your head and say, new generation, new way of approaching it. What's scriptural? Not what I think is appropriate or appropriate to my generation. What's scriptural? What's right? And we've said that several times to say it's not unscriptural to use PowerPoint. It's not unscriptural to have a church website, but let me tell you what, if a church doesn't have a website, they lack relevance to several generations that we've talked about. Mm -hmm. I know churches that say, oh, we don't have a website. We never needed one before. Do you want new members? Do you want yeah. the next generation of Christians in there? Then you need to demonstrate to them that you're ready to be relevant to them. And as yeah. I said, and putting your sermons up on Facebook and YouTube is the equivalent of recording them on audio cassette 30 years ago. Exactly, exactly right. That's the Jewel Miller strip of 2023. Jewel Miller. Thank you. Not McMillan. Jewel Miller. Yeah, McMillan funny. was the guy that wrote all the textbooks. <laughs> but still, like I said, that's what saved people 40 years ago. 
Nobody's going to yeah. be saved on the Jewel Miller film strip to, because yeah. unless they're that ancient generation that still loves that. I say ancient because they are. They're the generation that's leaving at this point. And there's just no relevance to us. The relevancy of the 21st century requires a different technology to approach them. And they're going to see that as authentic to, to yeah. say, here's the language that you speak. We're going to talk it to you to demonstrate to you the value of the gospel, that the gospel is a multi-generational, multi-ethnicity, multicultural experience. The, but that's the core of the gospel. And we cannot try to force our culture into it and then formulate that to be the thing we're going to strike out with for others. Absolutely. So one of the things that I appreciate, there's a guy who teaches how to succeed at YouTube. His name is Sean Cannell. And he runs a company called Think Media that I've learned a lot from over the past couple of months in terms of how to approach YouTube. But he's famous for saying that you have to make up your mind on the niche that you're going to go with, because if you chase two rabbits, you're going to lose them both. We can't create a strategy that covers all of these bases. So I asked ChatGPT to give me the points of intersection between those. I said, show me the points of intersectionality about the Generation X millennial and Generation Z when it comes to evangelism. And this was, the, these were the things that it came up with that were relatable to all the generations. The first, and it's no surprise, is authenticity. All three generations value authenticity and transparency in relationship and communication. So whether you're talking to X, millennial, or Z, it's important to be honest and genuine in your interactions. Don't hold something back. That, that just be upfront with them about it. Now, part of being honest and genuine and authentic is also making sure that we're not talking in Bibleese, that when we talk about sin, we're being honest about sin, but we're not angry about some particular form of sin that isn't my particular flavor of sin or, or that might be less socially acceptable to me, that we're, we talk about repentance. We talk about repentance when, with regard to every sin. Relevance is the second big one. Each generation is concerned with issues that are relevant to their lives. That means you're going to have to get your hands dirty, understand what's relevant to them, whether you're talking about social issues or you're talking about real-world problems in their lives or you're talking about their experiences, maybe with worship or religion. There's a lot of people, particularly in our Generation X, that talk about and some of it, some of them are exaggerated because I, I know because I've heard the stories myself. Some of them are very true, but there's what they call church hurt, where people have been hurt by those in authority in church before, and they're skeptical. You're going to have to be patient with those people. You're going to have to show why the gospel is still relevant to them. You're going to have to engage them in worship. You can't hold on to the Jewel Miller film strips and the hymns that are pre-1940. You're going to have to maybe update some of that to appeal to them as well. It's important to speak to their specific concerns and interest and use the generation that you're trying to teach. The third thing it talks about is relationship building. And this, I think, is key, that we need to understand, particularly you and I as evangelists, that relationships are not limited. I can build a relationship with a person in any one of those generations. If Peter can build a relationship with Cornelius, bridge that gap, teach a Gentile the gospel— then I can build a relationship with any person of any generation. So whether I'm engaging with Generation X, Millennial, or Generation Z, I need to focus not on just teaching them a script about the gospel. I need to focus on building a relationship. And then the last two, I think, were technology, which we've already talked about quite a bit. And the last one, strangely enough, was skepticism, that each generation is skeptical of traditional authority figures and institutions, including organized religion, so you need to have open and honest conversations about faith and spirituality, and you need to understand that they're going to be skeptical initially, and that skepticism is just a sign of the generation that they're part of, and that you're going to have to work through those things if you're going to lead them to Christ. So let's talk about those points of intersectionality. What's interesting about the intersection is that almost all of them, you have those statements that are the same, which are, number one, no two people are the same. That's what it says every time. Yeah. GPT wants us to know. You can't really pigeonhole people and say this. Nobody is, is carbon copy. Nobody's a carbon <laughs> copy. We may belong to a generation. We don't necessarily think like one. But generally speaking, there's a generic truth to it. Mistrust of society. You know who, which generation gave us the saying, don't trust anyone over the age of 30? The baby boomers. And they right. weren't the first. They weren't the first. It's it, There's always been a mistrust. And don't exacerbate the situation by 
playing to that generational warfare. Don't blame millennials for everything. Boy, I hate, I just love to hear somebody say, that's millennials for you. That's a ridiculous statement. Uh, And it's every generation before has blamed the generation to follow. That's the, that's the constant way of thinking that's a problem. If we're going to put these into practice, I would say the biggest ones that we need to focus on are probably the first three. And I think it did list them in the order of importance authenticity, relevance, and relationship. That skepticism, that's going to come. To me, I don't care whether I'm talking to somebody that's a baby boomer or somebody that's the greatest generation. If there's a disagreement, somebody's going to be skeptical. Skepticism is always part of the equation. I think it's more so with our generation and younger because we were trained to be skeptical, maybe by those people who said, don't trust anybody over 30. Boy, that sure cuts a lot more now that I'm 46. But but Paul McCartney can still sing when I'm 64. (laughs) He's passed that by a few years. But I think if we really focus on those first three, if we talk about authenticity, if we're talking about how the Bible changes us, we can talk about our struggles, we can talk about the things that we deal with as a Christian. I think about B.J. Sipe. He talks about his struggles as a young Christian and how he transcended those with the help of his wife all the time on podcasts. And I'm not going to go into those, but he's done one of my Man Up podcasts with me, and you can go check that out if you want to. But he uses that as a good example to not only help people with a specific struggle in their faith, but to evangelize. Here's how, when I really finally got who Jesus is, here's how it changed me, and here's how it helped me. Being authentic about stuff like that, that relevance, if the Bible is just some 2,000-year-old book, we joked about having a 2,700-year-old joke a few minutes ago, but if the Bible is just a 2,000-year-old book, then it's not worth the dust that collects on it. It's got to be relevant to our daily life, and we need to let it speak where it speaks, and we need to admit when we're contradictory to what the Bible says and the way that we're living and try to bend our life in the direction that the Bible is trying to teach us to go, and we've really got to focus on those relationships. We've got to focus on knowing that those people who are not necessarily of the same years that we are, that they're not really much different than we are. They've been schooled by a different world, but in reality, they really just want the same things, and that's they want somebody to hear them. They want somebody to accept them. They want to hear how this message that's so important to me is relevant to them, or they want me to quit talking about it. And those are the areas, I think less so with technology and skepticism, those are just like road signs that we need to pay attention to. But those three, for me, are the big ones. How about you? Yeah, I like the idea of authenticity. And I think one thing is that that reflected in effective preaching today. If somebody's going to preach a sermon, say, on drinking or on some personal thing, and they say, here's all the verses on drinking, there might have been time when that was an effective sermon. But today, what people say is, I need to, for this to have a sense of credibility with me, I need to know that you're sincere about what you're saying. And you need to tell me, hey, I remember the struggle with alcohol, the struggle with drinking, the struggle with pornography, the struggle. You need a vulnerability and an openness that that makes this not, it's funny because you'll hear a lot of people today say, I don't like being preached at. And I have to appreciate what that means. That means I don't want you just to tell me what I should or should not be doing. I need to understand why. And I... And that relevance to you is important. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with somebody saying, I demand relevance, because why did Jesus come to earth if not to have a relevance in the conversation of the things he's going to do? He can understand what we're going through because he experienced it. That's the sense of what we're doing. I'm not going to preach a Jewish sermon to Gentile audience, Paul would have said. I'm going to bring them the message that they need to hear that's relevant to them that makes them understand. And that's how preaching ought to be today, but that's how teaching ought to be today too. Today, you need to hear people say, let me show you something that changed my life. The gospel is something we're trying to get people to see its value and to bring it into their life. And that means we have to make it relevant to the way they think of things as relevant. And I tell you what, if you're unwilling to appreciate that, you're not gonna be effective. You may be sincere, but you're not effective. And be effective, be all things to all men. And I think that's one of the reasons why we have to be careful with nostalgia, that don't say that the latter days were better than the, or the former days were better than the latter, that Solomon talks about that in Ecclesiastes, that only a fool says that. There there was a type of messaging that worked in the 50s, in the 60s, in the 70s, and the 80s, and it worked very well, but you were talking about one to two generations of people that was hitting. And now you've got people that you have to incorporate these other ideas because they don't immediately accept that the Bible is authoritative over their lives. So you got to talk about relevance. I think about Keith Stoneheart, Keith the legend Stoneheart, actually a, a former rock musician who gave it all up to teach the gospel and what a powerful testimony he has as a preacher that here's who I was before I met Jesus. This is who I became. 
after I met Jesus, and he's the transition in me. And those of us that grew up around the church, maybe we don't have such a powerful testimony, but we know a lot of people who we have seen the gospel change, and we can talk about their stories, and we can be, we can talk about our own transitions. Even if they're, they seem more insignificant to us, it might be a powerful motivator to get somebody to stop and listen to the gospel. That's a question that I get all the time is, why would anybody want to believe the gospel today? And my answer is because that's the only place you're going to find any hope. I mean, the reason yeah. why I have any hope in this world at all is because of the gospel. That's where I start talking about how the gospel changes me. And then, you know, you go to a passage like Isaiah 55 and the passage of come and drink from the fountain of life without cost and all of those things that God is saying there in that invitation. I've got to tell you why I want them first. And I think that's really what what was getting at. So the answers from AI were pretty good and pretty scary. I think it gets us better than we do. It's uh, fed with millions and millions of data points, and I wouldn't recommend trusting everything that it says. I ask it some basic questions about the Bible, and some of them it was spot on, and some of them it was way off on, extremely weighted toward one biblical position or the other that's not necessarily the truth of the Bible. But as I figured as an indicator of who man really is and who people really are, it would have a pretty good grasp of it, and I think it did. And so... It's a little scary. It knows us better than we know ourselves. Very Brian, let me give you the last word, and then we'll we'll bring this space shuttle down. It's important to understand this. The words of Solomon, nothing's new under the sun. Things haven't changed. Don't look down on the generation before you or after you, because that's just foolishness. Instead, see that in, in every generation, there's a handful of people that are searching, that are looking for the gospel. And I'll be honest, I think it's probably always the same remnant. It's always the same kind of people that say, hey, maybe there's something else and you're going to have to be all things to all men. That's the term that I think fits the best here. To be all things to all men, you have to approach them in the language they speak. And that's going to mean a little bit of language skill, which means what's relevant, what's important. Yeah. Growing is always difficult. All right. Thanks for joining us. And for me and my co-host, Brian, the Bear Summoner Haynes, I want to thank you for joining us for this episode of the Biblically Speaking Podcast. We'll be back next week. Haven't really talked about what that episode's going to be about yet, but we got a, we've got a few days to figure it out. I'll probably drop some hints on Facebook and for the old people, <laughs> as well as maybe some shorts on YouTube. Be looking for the long-form content on this particular episode to drop later this week. I think it'll, be, it'll have some more insight that we didn't get to cover in the podcast because you really need to see that. And if you happen to be watching this on YouTube, check out that episode as well. But as always, we want to thank you guys for joining us. And for me and my co-host, Brian, thanks for being here.